made it. You're here at 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. Welcome. Glad you could make it. All right, look, I don't think I'm making a controversial statement when I say that Florida is really fucking hot. Florida is an incredibly, <laughs> an incredibly, it's an incredibly moist state, an incredibly hot state. It is just, it's like living in boiling water. And it's there that I met Brad, Brad Carroll, who joins me for this episode. I'm talking, it's so fucking hot that you park your car in the parking lot and you come out a few hours later and your rear view mirror has literally melted off your windshield and has like fallen just on your floor. That, that happens. That's a thing. That's how hot it gets. Brad and I are both Michiganders. We did not know what kind of sense to make of that Florida heat in our time together there in the early 2000s. But he became a lifelong friend, and I'm grateful that he joined me for this episode to discuss the quintessential 1993-1994 album. For a lot of us, I remember watching this on TV when it came out and being, you know, pretty gobsmacked by it, you know? Most of us never got to see Nirvana live, unfortunately. But all of us collectively got to enjoy this experience together over and over again. And it was a lot of fun bringing Brad on and just talking old times. So here's me and Brad Carroll of Michigan talking about Nirvana's MTV Unplugged album. Hey, bud. Hey there. How's it going, Bizarre? Great. How are you? I'm doing good, bud. I've been notified of this. Take your time. Hurry up. Just as yours don't be late. Take a rest. There's a friend. Yes, I'm known. That's actually one of the first questions of the show if you want to get into it yeah how, how do you and i know one another well um we met at full sail in winter park florida yeah you were rooming with big jim right yeah we were in the same class and you know we we're 20 21 ish both michiganders both michiganders had to go to winter park florida to meet each other that's right and I think it took a little while. I want to say the first couple of classes, it was, we were mixed in with it was like everybody audio yeah. recording and everyone else. You and I were in the film program and then, yeah, but they mixed everybody at first. So like you'd make kind of some random friends right. until you got like stuck with the same group of people all the time. And at branch job, we were probably out on a smoke break or something and talking. And but my first major memory of you is when we started writing that script together. Oh, well, we were already pretty good friends at that point. We were friends, of course. I think me and Harry actually had a party that really brought the class together at our Sun Key Fun Key. That was a turning point 
that was definitely, you know, then everyone kind of got to, okay, you know, everyone got to kind of let their hair down. And, and your place kind of became like a hangout pad. Yeah. And also there was that dollar theater right around the corner from your house. So like we would just kind of go over there at all hours of the day. And I would like be at your apartment about as much as I was mine during the day. And we'd oh, yeah. smoke and go to the dollar theater and saw little Nikki seven times. <laughs> it's still my number one movie I've, I've seen in the theater. Popeye's chicken is fucking awesome. So I've been listening to the Unplugged quite a bit as of late. I even went out and uh, watched it. There's just some variances there. Did you watch it recently? I have not watched it recently. Okay. Yeah. I did look it up on Wiki or whatever, and, and I never realized that they released a 25-year anniversary and, and it had four or five rehearsal takes. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I haven't seen that. And I'm like, ooh, I want to hear those. Yeah. I think like Man Who Sold the World is, was on there. and Other um, takes of, the, of those. Songs. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, so no different songs. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad that they eventually put back in something in the way. And uh, what was the other? Oh, oh my, the meat puppets. Oh, me, right? Oh, me. Thank you. Good evening. Do you remember like how you came to this album? Do you remember like the first time you watched the Unplugged performance? I had liked music, you know, when I was a kid, you know, Michael Jackson and Madonna, and I love the monkeys just because I'm a goofy kid. Sure. The, the show on Nickelodeon was fun, and hey, hey, we're the monkeys. You know, those are fun. I had the cassette tapes and all that. I had a monkeys cassette also. I remember roller skating around in my basement listening to True Blue, Baby, I Love You, you know, like, whatever. Yeah, like seven or eight. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, like that kind of mid to late 80s. And then when Nirvana was the first, like, I got a guitar because of Nirvana. Okay. You know, I could play those songs. They were power chords. Yeah. Three or four chords. And they weren't, you know, once I, once my fingers learned that stretch, I'm like, oh my God, I can play Nirvana. You know, everyone learns come as you are. It's like, <laughs> like oh, I recognize those first four notes. Yeah, yeah I know it's a that. rite of passage. <laughs> you know, we were what, ninth grade, I think, or eighth grade when that came out, 93. So that's the funny thing about this album. It's like the ultimate 93, 94 album because the unplugged performance was recorded November 18th of 1993. I don't know when it actually aired, but I think it wasn't that long after that. Right. The album version came out a year later in November of 94. So eighth grade, ninth grade. Right. He died in what? April, April early 94. April. Yeah. And then it was released. So I was pretty heavy into Nirvana. You know, I had, uh, Nevermind on tape. I had Incesticide on tape. Mm -hmm. It came out and I don't know, how do you, how do you put it into words? It's just like, it was this totally different side to Nirvana. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, Nirvana, he's got this raspy, he's got the greatest scream growl ever. And just this kind of like heavy, heavier music, you know? Uh -huh. And I wasn't really into much like I never got into heavy metal or Metallica or anything like that. And not comparing that. Well, I get you. Distorted kind of loud, quiet, loud stuff. I think I really liked his lyrics and I felt like he embodied that whole genre, like, you know, just the way he looked, the way he dressed, the way he sounded, the way his music was, it wasn't like perfect. If he hit an off note, he didn't, you know, it was just like, yeah. 
like, you know, kind of the F you to the establishment that all that was all just encompassed in this one little three piece band, you know? Yeah. There's always a lot of authenticity to what they oh, did, so but they were also like, so, I mean, they were kind of, they weren't punk rock, but they were kind of punk rock, like in their ethos. In a lot of ways, they should have been extremely grateful to MTV to making them pretty famous because I feel like uh, that video for Smells Like Teen Spirit went a long way in getting them into hyper fame. Huge. Cobain is kind of giving the middle finger to MTV, but MTV is really what brought them to huge fame and a lot helped that out. And it's like, but that's not necessarily what he wanted you know mm-hmm. and then it just kind of happened like almost overnight where he's like oh fuck i'm just like i'm <laughs> shit i'm this goofy little kid from aberdeen washington and now i'm like a world star like right. i can't handle this i guess you know i'm a lot but that's the thing it's like yeah okay i am biting the hand that feeds me because that's who i am that's his style yeah but it's also kind of fitting for their final release to have been associated with mtv in a way especially since mtv they were so instrumental in my life and in maybe even American and world culture in the late eighties, early mid nineties, oh, but, but it wasn't too long after this, that it was like singled out in the real world. And they just stopped showing fucking videos videos. And, and this, <laughs> so this was like a swan song for Nirvana and MTV almost in a way. Yeah. Like MTV two came out. It's like, all right, oh. this is the channel that's going to have videos. I think, right. I, I don't know. Yeah, I no, you're right. Much. That's what it was. Like, and now we're going to ruin the world with reality TV. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to destroy our own business model. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're going to eat ourselves just like we are doing as a society. Excellent. <laughs> This performance, it was noticeably not, I mean, not just because it was acoustic, but it was noticeably a maturing of Nirvana, right? Like it it felt like a big step forward Mm -hmm. as far as them as a band goes. Oh yeah. That's what pisses me off so much is I would have loved to see what they would have done after that. You know, seeing like, wow, all these, you know, harder rocking songs, they sound great acoustically as well. Like would that have. If not better. Yeah. Would that have shifted. Maybe, you know, obviously I think they would, you know, he would stick to his roots, but maybe they'd mix in a little more. I don't know. Who knows what would have come. It suggested some promise. In Utero was a kind of a, a big step forward, but this was sonically speaking, a very different vibe. And it fit them well. It fit them as well as that cardigan fit. Yes. The most famous cardigan in history. You know that cardigan's the most expensive cardigan that exists? It's like over $500,000 and it hasn't been washed. Is it really? Yeah. He was wearing it like during that whole tour. He was wearing it up until his death. I'm wearing this cardigan right now that I wear at home like all the time. It's like my security blanket. And that was his. Yeah. So he wore it like all the time. I read up that all the MTV execs wanted them to, you know, less cover songs, more of your big hits, you know, like, like right. do some more hits. I think come as you are, was their only radio song at that point. Yeah, it because was. Because I think in utero came out in late September of 93. Yeah. It was relatively new when this came out and all apologies hadn't made it to single land yet. Right. And they, he didn't do heart shaped box. No, but he did dumb. He did all apologies. Penny Royal. Royalty. Yep. 
and that's I think it. It'd be hard to put like very ape, yeah, acoustically. Some of those, yeah. you know, Francis Farmer had a revenge. That's what I was thinking. That's not going to translate to acoustic very well. But he was still, yeah, I'm going to do this fucking show, but I'm going to do it how I want to do it. I'm not going to say, okay, yeah, we're going to do acoustic smells like Teen Spirit, and I've thought about too, like what other songs could have worked. And I think like something like lithium mm-hmm. might have sounded really cool acoustic. Here's a question I have for you. Do you think that we are disserved in any way by the covers, especially the Meat Puppets covers? Not that I mind the Meat Puppets songs, but I mean, like two Meat Puppets covers would have been excessive. Three is like, do are we cheated out of other versions of Nirvana songs by all of these covers? Probably a little. A little, right? I think he was a very big fan of their first couple albums. And I think that he wanted to help their careers along. Oh, definitely. Or their careers, you know, the, meet, brothers, the meat puppets career. Brothers yeah. meet, you know, and it's just like <laughs> the brothers meet. <laughs> so he had them. Yeah, come on and you know, get your face out there, get some and right. you know, the things that I like, especially Lake of Fire, just hearing him strain his voice to get those you know, I, I'm not even gonna attempt to do it, but like fire and fry. See him again, tell for the July. Those are notes that Cobain isn't meant to hit, you know, and he did it. it. It worked out cool. Yeah. You know, but but then it's like, but then I'm biased. Like, yeah, I do like, you know, Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam. It's amazing. I love it. And I you know, I, I didn't know Navasella could play accordion, you know. Right. <laughs> It's like, would I rather have acoustic lithium over that? Probably, definitely over like, oh me. I actually really like oh me, but Plateau's the well, one that kind I'm of. I'm not saying I don't like them, you know. I got gotcha, you. Like, I got gotcha. you. If, if I could take one album and say, what's responsible for the majority of the m- music I've listened to in the what now, almost 30 years since that came out? See, that's how you feel old. It's 30 years. I mean, in, almost 30 in years. In 04, right? I mean, yeah. in, in the fall, right? Yeah. But it's like, I'm 13, 14, you know, it opens up. You know, this is a song off our first album. Most people don't own it. Right. Right. He does about a girl. And they also released that as a single later, which right. made sense. But it's like, and this is, you know, pre-internet. So I can't just Google Nirvana album list. I'm like, okay, yeah. I got to go to the record store, the CD store. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what's, the, what's this bleach, you know? Here's a question for you. Were you like me in that you were wholly unfamiliar with Lead Belly until this came out, and then you got a little bit obsessed with Lead Belly? That was my next point of order. Yeah. Right? Like, I think a lot of us did that. Well, and to be honest with you, Bowie in the same way. Yeah? I knew Let's Dance, and I knew, but I didn't know the album, Man Who Sold the World, that came out in 71. So that got me into Bowie, and... You get into Bowie, now I'm into Lou Reed. Now I'm into, you know, mm-hmm. T-Rex. And now I'm into so many other great bands from like the 70s, you know? Yeah. And that was because of this one damn song on right. this MTV Unplugged album. I mean, even the cardigan, to go back to that, like no one our age wore cardigans. And then oh. he wore that cardigan on TV. And everyone's like, oh, we can dress like grandpa now. And we all started dressing like grandpa. And it's cool. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'd be curious if we were like, Let's say we were born in 75 or 72. A little earlier than we are. 80, you know, because like, mm-hmm. like when he did his whole, uh, which now it's so like, I love it 
because it's it's so like kind of ahead of its time. But you know, when he uh he like made out with Navaselic on SNL to piss mm-hmm. off all the homophobes is what he said, you know. Right. When I'm 12, I don't get it. I just see two guys kissing, and it's like whatever. Right. That, like that's like a political statement that he's making. Yes. And now later on, you're seeing it, it's like who had the balls to do that? Right. In '92, you know. That's what I'm saying, man. He was punk rock, like Kurt the subversive, Kurt the anti-Christian, right? I mean that yes. that Vaseline's cover. At that age, I was like uncomfortable with that. I'm like, oh, he's saying that he doesn't care that Jesus died for our sins. Oh, oh no, what's going to happen to Kurt's soul? <laughs> you know, like, but that wasn't something you saw or heard on TV or on the radio at the time. You know, okay, that's going to upset some people, you know? Right. And he seemed to like that. He seemed to like the opportunity to use his fame to like push buttons. So, what do you think are some of the best songs? From this album, do you have a favorite track or tracks? That's so hard. I mean, I I think that opener about a girl, uh-huh. and I think his any royalty solo. talking about all the medicine and stuff he's taking it's like he's not making this up like this is very personal he is taking cherry flavored antacids like i had no doubt even if he wasn't he sold it well he definitely was because he had all those stomach issues in his life um and it's funny you mentioned that line because i find that song really interesting because you mentioned Kurt Cobain, the lyricist earlier, and he isn't like he's a really, really good lyricist. But you listen to that song, that line, cherry flavored and acids, is literally the only line in the song that doesn't have the word I or me in it. Every other line in the whole song has I or me in it, which is pretty fucking basic. You don't really want to do that too much as a songwriter, as you know. Right, right. But that's kind of the, one of the things that I think worked about him. He was able to have these really penetrating lyrics and often very personal like vulnerable lyrics that also, I mean, I think that was part of their appeal, especially to younger kids is that it was simplified. It was never like, I got to break out the dictionary to learn what the fuck he's talking about. I mean, I didn't know what penny royalty is and I still don't know. I think it's some sort of, I don't know what it is, but you know, Earl Grey, (laughs) it's probably some hallucinogen or some sort of historical (laughs) reference of some kind, but you know what I mean? Like you didn't have to be too smart. You know, it it was broadly relatable. same song i mean first song and i'm gonna buy their first album which is how many al- how many bleach albums did he sell after he said this is off a first album most people don't own it go yeah. out and buy it that's what, he's in, that's what he's implying and then, and then he introduces me to bowie which leads me down this crazy path which i think is true for most of our generation you know or, or people of a certain age a lot of us got into or deeper into bowie or into blues and we just kind of this kind of got introduced to new things. And I think that was something that was really important to Kurt Cobain. You know, I remember I bought a flipper album, the band flipper. Cause he wore a flipper shirt, like on an interview once I'm like, Oh, really? okay. he likes flipper. I guess I should like flipper. And then I got the flipper album. I'm like, I don't think I like flipper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I watched that devil and Daniel Johnston. Cause he wore that Daniel Johnston shirt. Cobain probably made the shirt because I don't think think Johnson was a black magic marker mass producing these t-shirts, but that's funny for some people, you know, eh, they like music. They like a little bass beat. They like bopping their head or tapping their foot, but then some people 
are like nerds like us that I'm going <laughs> to, I'm diving in, you know? So it's right. like, what was before lead belly? Okay. Let's get into that. Charlie Patton and Johnson and Sunhouse, oh, yeah. and Sunhouse, right. Into all these guys. Yeah. And then it's like, okay. You know, blind Willie McTell out of blind guys, you know, <laughs> no one could see, but God, could they play? And then it's like, Cause I already had my, you know, I had my gateway classic rock, you know, your Hendrixes, your Zeppelins, mm-hmm. your Doors and Almond Brothers and all Which these I never got into that stuff. Although on the televised version, they actually start to play Sweet Home Alabama for like a hot minute with, oh, do with, they? The, with the Meat Puppet guys. And I'm like, oh, keep going, please. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. But that's what it did. I mean, and this is just from this one album. And then what I was going to mention also is he brings up a guy in Penny Royalty. And when I'm 14, I don't know who Leonard Cohen is. And I don't know what a Leonard Cohen afterworld would be like. <laughs> and then I get into Leonard Cohen. I'm like, that sounds like a pretty mellow afterworld. Yes, a lot of sighing. A lot of sighing there. And that got me into Leonard Cohen. What a great songwriter he is, you know. Wild that Kurt Cobain beat Cohen to the afterworld. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. You know? Yeah. I mean, that album alone just, I mean, it opened up and I think he probably did that. In t- I mean, it didn't work with me on the Meat Puppets. <laughs> Sorry. And, and I got into them really. I hope that the Meat Puppets all were able to like afford houses and like put their kids yes. through college and yeah, stuff and yeah, like have good, yeah. happy lives, uh, which yeah. probably had a lot to do with his influence because yeah i don't think many people got into meat puppets he loved them he did i picked up too high to die around that time and kind of went like okay i don't don't know (laughs) yeah i remember listening to it and be like no i like the couple that kurt sings and that's it but you know (laughs) hopefully he's getting some uh penny royalties oh my god and they're just getting (laughs) edited out they're still getting checks because what i read it that that by 2020 it went eight times platinum mtv unplugged yeah, not meat puppets. <laughs> yeah, I'm plugged eight times platinum. And, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That's that's enormous for an hour long live show. I mean, and is widely considered one of the best live albums of all time. Which you oh, got to yeah. give credit to Scott Litt, the producer who came in and worked on this thing. Especially after watching the televised version yesterday, you can really hear in songs like Plateau and in a few other places where. There's a lot of tweaking. It's heavily improved. There's a big difference, I think, between the televised version and the album version. And also, Lit went in there and like fixed some stuff really well. On Penny Royalty, there's a moment where Kurt hits the wrong chord. It has to like slide up, and you cannot tell on the album version at all. Uh, and there's like a moment where the Kirkwood brothers are singing backup vocals, and it's just off, and he just buries it. Well, I read that he built him like an apple box of sorts to hide pedals because he did amplify. It wasn't yeah. just a coo- you know. This is the first plugged in unplugged show. Yeah, because you can hear it in Man Is Sold the World for sure. Especially, there's, there's even feedback. But then I read that that just like it was kind of that was like Kurt's like security blanket. Like, no, I, I need those. Yeah, but it was, it was clearly more than a security blanket though, because 
especially a man who sold the world, there's distortion and stuff going on there. But they still made it all work. It's oh, yeah. quote unquote plugged in, but so was every other unplugged album right. and performance before then. I mean, even Chris Novoselic's bass is plugged in, of course. Yeah. So it's like big fucking deal. Any requests? So do you have any criticisms or like a least favorite song? Any flaws in this album for you? Or is it perfect? Oh, God. I mean, you could always ask for more. You know, you could always get more. Like, oh, I wish they would have done 25 songs or something, you know. But other than just maybe having to hit the skip button every now and again. So what do you skip? A lot of times I will. It's weird because I, you know, it's been out for so long. I don't listen to it all that much anymore. Mm -hmm. And when I first got it, you know, you play it through. I probably skip probably Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam sometimes and Oh Me. Just because it's like, okay, I like these songs, but I want to hear Nirvana songs. You know, I want to hear the Nirvana songs. You know, I want to hear... I probably like you're saying I probably could have done with less of the meat. Yeah, for me it's plateau. Illustrated book about words. Yeah, like oh, 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 this isn't really hitting it for me. No. On those meat puppets performances, the meat puppets themselves are playing. Like Novoselic is playing guitar and Dave Grohl's playing drums, but the meat puppets are playing lead guitar and bass, and it's like this is, uh-huh. this is kind of like a weird meet Vana hybrid hands began to scan around for the next plateau some say it was greenland some say mexico others come as you are is awesome holly is great on a plane is so cool sounding oh it's so good something in the way this version of all apologies is like to me, it's the definitive version of all apologies it's better than the album version oh yeah and where did you sleep last night is that's my personal favorite, I think, on the album. If I had to pick a highlight, their version of Where Did You Sleep Last Night is just... I mean, that's why Kurt Cobain got into like an argument with one of the producers after because they were trying to get him to like go out and do more. And he's like, no, I can't top that performance, which makes sense. And I've like uh, totally ripped that off. And I've done you know a few like coffee houses where I'll do that song. Uh-huh. I do his version. I mean, I don't, I don't do the whole like opening your eyes all crazy at that one at the end, but that's the version <laughs> I know. That's the one I learned, you know, yeah. E minor to G to B A G and then whatever that chord is G. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I, I just play it. I don't know how to speak it. So did you always kind of stick with this album or has it come and gone in your life? Uh, I never tired of it, but I think just more stuff came along you know once yeah. you know this was ninth grade got into that i remember like when he died like i had a couple buddies where we like from like the day that he was thought to have actually died to when they discovered him i want to say it was five six seven days or something went on i don't know the exact number but uh, yeah i don't remember i remember him like being missing yeah he was missing and then they found him you know up, like above his garage or something yeah i think i think it was a greenhouse I think. solarium yeah. It could have been a solarium, not an arboretum. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. (laughs) We'd go like that that whole week. This was the next year. You know, our hair's all long, Mm -hmm. wearing flannels, much like I still am now. Yeah. But we'd like, all right, we're not washing our hair for a week. We're getting, we're going greasy. We're, you know, we're in honor of Cobain, you know? So yeah, yeah. It was a greasy age anyway. I remember my parents being worried. Like, all right, our son is, he's liking this suicidal heroin addict a little too much for our likings you know like i mean they don't know they just had nirvana cool band whatever not my style but okay this guy was like a uh you know a drug addict and he killed himself and it's like i don't you know i don't know shut up 
class. that age, 13, 14, time moves so slow. Oh, you know, a, a year at that time is such an expanse of time. So I remember when Nirvana's In Utero came out, I got the date came out and I was all over it. And by the time he died, you know, six months later, it felt like an eternity had passed to me. I remember being like, oh, oh I'm yeah. over. I'm over Nirvana. Like I was kind of like not that into him anymore. I mean, so for me, this album it's always been the one I go to. If I put on a Nirvana album, it's this album. I have not put on Bleach or In Utero or Nevermind in a really, really long time. But it has not yeah. been that long since I've had this on regular rotation. I kind of always come back to this one. More love should be given to Dave Grohl. I don't know that it's an accident that once he joins the band, they get really, really big. I was watching the televised version of their Unplugged performance, and I really had not appreciated what exactly Grohl is doing, particularly in the song, uh, Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam. In that song, that boy is playing drums, bass, and singing backing vocals all at the same time. Yeah. He's literally just sitting there with a the bass and like hitting like the drums with his feet and singing and playing bass. And it sounds so calm and well Effortless. done. Effortless. That's the word. Yeah. yeah. He is such a good music like he was by far a better guitarist than Cobain for you know like 101 music wise you know I I love listening to like live Nirvana bootlegs and mm -hmm. Cobain just like destroying solos like <laughs> off note after but it's like it doesn't matter because you know he'll break a string I don't care I'm gonna play the rest of the show with five strings on my guitar it doesn't right. matter like yeah he had that that ability to like just, just plow ahead it, and yep. yeah and be authentic and that was always enough gonna make it work so you never saw him live never got to see nirvana yeah, live no either. by that point i mean i wasn't seeing i mean i could probably count on my hand how many shows right. i had seen but i was there i think i saw green day and i saw weird al yankovic that was my that's first cool. show that's cool but he did smells like nirvana so yeah. i did get to see you know no way <laughs> but i you know that's the thing with nirvana is like the beatles with me like there's songs that are overplayed because the radio right. played them all the time that I would skip those. Got sick of them. Yeah. Like, you know, Penny Lane and uh, Hello Goodbye. I'll skip those all day if I'm listening to the Beatles. Sure. So what song from this album, when we wrap up this interview here, which we're getting towards the end, what song would you want to use as your outro? What song is your anthem? Ooh, I think you got to go with Lead Belly. All right. It was the outro to the show. Yeah. So why not make it the outro to the interview? That makes sense. My girl, my girl. To me, this album. I think almost over any other album, it just opened the door to so many other bands and artists and just eras of music, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. with the Bowie and the Leonard Cohen and 
I'm like, oh, Bowie, Lou Reed, but oh, what's with Velvet Underground? Oh, I could hear some Nirvana and Velvet Underground that kind of distorted, you know, because Lou didn't really give a shit either. You know? No, no. Getting back to this kind of embracing the flaws that Kurt Cobain and Nirvana kind of represents, and one of the ways that this live performance is so good. And again, watching the televised version, a lot of the stuff that's edited out in the album version, for instance, when he says, I'm going to do Penny Royalty by myself, you hear Dave Grohl just very obviously ask Pat Smear like, for a cigarette. Those two guys go off and smoke a cigarette. When they're trying to pick out like which last song they're going to play, like they're literally working it out on stage. Like They had rehearsed all this shit, but they still like had not nailed down exactly what they were going to do. And so Kurt Cobain starts talking about what song they're going to play, and you hear, I think, Dave Grohl yell out, what are we playing? They're just having like these conversations on set. It almost feels like a living room show. Right. Like they got together. There was no, all right, we're rehearsing for months for this huge, important show. Right. They're just like so relaxed. Because I did notice that I saw that the timing was like unplugged is 43 minutes, but then the video is 55 minutes or maybe it's 50 or 45 and 53. You know, it's like, yeah, there's like 10 minutes or so extra. Cause they did keep some of the banter in. Like, I think after Petter OT was, is it Grohl or Navasella? It was like, that sounded good. And he just goes, shut up. Oh, and there's also this really funny moment where, um, Chris Novosella comes up to Kurt Cobain and is like, Hey, we should not play dumb and Polly back to back. And he's like whispering, trying to be like sly about it. And Cobain's like very like into the microphone, like, oh no, no, that's fine. These songs sound the exact same. So uh, he's saying we shouldn't play these songs back to back, but that's <laughs> fine. It doesn't matter. And like, that's, and that, Cause he didn't give a shit, you know, he's like, fuck it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show my cards and be me. Yeah. Yeah, respect that. And I think the reason that Pat Smear joined the band was because Cobain was forgetting lyrics and forgetting chords, and you know he was he was out of it. Yeah, those last few months he was struggling. Yeah. Yep. So they had him as kind of like okay backup if he misses a chord or forgets something that you know. Yeah, and we should give a shout out to Lori Goldston who played cello on all that. She had toured with them live, so she did not have to do special extra stuff, and she fits right in. This album would oh. really not work as well nearly without her. I was just listening to Dumb. Mm-hmm. Especially Dumb. And you can hear, I mean, that makes the song in a way. You know? And all apologies both. Yeah, both yeah. those two songs. Like, the cello works throughout the whole album, but in those two songs, really, like, it's necessary. And I think that the strings really help kind of compensating for the electrified stuff that's going on, the mild distortion. You throw some cellos and shit in there, and it starts to get Yeah, oh, it's acoustic. Lofty. <laughs> right. Well, right. That's, that's the great thing. Like, when Man Who Sold the World comes in, you hear the obviously distorted guitar. Mm-hmm. But everything else is very acoustic sounding. You know, you can hear just the, the little pats of the drums, the little little low bass beat. You know, it's just like, yeah. that's the one thing that's like, okay, that's distorted everything. It's not like the, <laughs> the whole band is like, all right, we're plugging in everyone. Let's go nuts, you know? Right, right. never know if anything is going to like stand the test of time in the moment you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. and now 30 years have gone by and 
in a way they're like our Beatles or something, you know, with just less material. Like you're right. It smells like teen spirit comes on the radio. If I'm happening to listen to like the local FM radio, which is pretty rare. Right. Know, or like you're yeah. at the grocery store and it comes on because that shit happens. I don't change the channel. I turn it up. Sure. How many times have I heard that song? A billion. Oh, many. But yeah. it's still, I'm like, y'all, I'm like, hell yeah. And I think there's other bands from that kind of like the whole Seattle scene that have stood the test of time, but Nirvana stands out to me. You know, I mean, I love Soundgarden, Alice in Chains and Pearl. I love them, you know, but Nirvana, just there's something about them that was different. And I don't see like that, you know, Lane Staley t-shirts in Japan like I do. Their influence. Yeah. And I think in another 30 years, Nirvana is still going to go down as, yeah, they're still great. Their shit never got old. Mm -hmm. Nirvana is serious music. And I think people realize that. And I think now that 30 years have gone by, it's like, okay, yeah, well, that really, it's 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 here to stay forever, you know? They got famous for a reason, that there was that genius right. in their simplicity, especially as like the strong three-piece that they were at their peak. Yes. Just inimitable. No one could quite do it like them. All right, so you and I met at Full Sail, so we are both movie people. Yes. I'm going to take you back to the week that this was recorded, the week of November 18th, 1993. Oh, God. So Jurassic Park? Clever girl. That was in the summer. Oh, you're right, obviously. <laughs> so if you had gone to the movie theater the night that this was recorded, you had an option between a few movies. I'm going to give you some. These are your options. Okay. Your local theater. You could watch Look Who's Talking Now, which is the third Look Who's Talking movie where Danny DeVito uh, voices the, the dogs. dogs. The yes. dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Possibility. You could watch The Remains of the Day and get okay. very serious. You could watch RoboCop 3 and watch Ooh. RoboCop fly around, which he never did before or since. Okay. You could watch Carlito's Way with Al Pacino. Ooh. You could watch My Life with Michael Keaton. Oh. Ernest Rides Again. Ooh. Three Musketeers or Adam's Family Values. Oh, God. All right. So look who's talking now. Remains of the day. RoboCop 3, Carlito's Way, Ernest Rides Again, My Life, Three Musketeers, or Adam's Family Values. Those are your eight options at the theater that you've arrived at in this hypothetical situation. Well, at that age, Remains of the Day would have been yeah. way no thanks. <laughs> All right. So you're 13 in this scenario. That does make sense. So as a 13-year-old. What would you say? Oh, RoboCop 3. I yeah, think. right? I think RoboCop 3. I mean, <laughs> Carlito's Way is a great movie, but... It's a great movie, but... My 13-year-old watching two-hour 45... I mean, that, that, was, that was a heavy movie. My Life was really great, too, but... My I mean, Life is... But, yeah, with Keaton and Cancer, right? And that way, like... It's, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah... No, RoboCop 3 all day. And it's probably. probably, like... I mean, probably Look Who's Talking Now is a better movie. But I, oh, yeah. I probably would have picked RoboCop Free as well. If, if I had the wisdom that I have now, I would have gone Carlito's Way or My Life. Although Adam's Family Values, there's a good chance I would have seen that at third. In fact, when I was that age, I did see Adam's Family Values in theaters, and I did not see RoboCop 3 in theaters. So well, I probably didn't because it was rated R. Oh, yeah, that's true. The that, whole rating, true. you know. Could've I definitely saw Luke Who's Talking Now in, um, <sighs> in the theater. And it was terrible. And probably to this day, I mean, I, I still, I don't know, I have like an affinity towards those old 80s action movies and like, yeah. you know, early 90s. Sure. Really, they don't make them like that anymore. I, maybe it's probably just because we grew up on those ones, yeah. you know? Yeah. Terminator yeah. and Predator. And, of course. I don't know. And there's the little Detroit with a Robocop. That, that helps too. Of course. You know? All right, man. 
It's been a pleasure having you on, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. It's been a pleasure. to spend some time with Brad. It's funny, despite the fact that we live relatively close to one another, you know, it's just it's just hard to actually get together. But there was a time in my life where, as we talked about, he and our dearly departed friend Alan Lee were three peas in a pod, man. We were a good bunch. There was a lot of love there. Still is. And it was really nice to spend some time with him. I have this memory of Kurt Cobain. <laughs> I remember it was like shortly before he died, he was performing, I believe, on live television. I forget what the event was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was for MTV because that was what everything was at that time, when, if it was a live performance of a band at the time. And my nana, I'm not going to call her my grandma. She's my nana. She was in town visiting. And I'll never forget, like, Kurt Cobain got up in the camera's face and just hocked this big old filthy loogie up and... Whew, right at the camera, like like at the lens, and it just just splat. And I looked over at my nana, and oof, disappointed nana face. I can't, I can't. It struck me that disappointed nana face is that's intense. But I was like, oh shit, you know, like nana's always walking in during the Sir Mix a Lot video and that kind of shit. How does she always time it so perfectly to catch the worst shit? So I remember, like, actually. I was mortified uh, at the actions of someone who I, like most kids my age, pronounced as one of my personal heroes. Um, So that sticks out in my memory. All right. On that note, thank you so much for joining me and Brad for joining me. It's really a pleasure to uh, have you come along. If you want to come on the podcast as well, that would be really cool. You can contact me at 9394podcast at gmail.com or the usual social media places by which I mean Facebook and Twitter. I don't think I'm going to fuck with Instagram. You know, I've been doing this podcast for a little while now, and I have many episodes recorded and available. I have episodes recorded and, you know, kind of coming down the pike, and then I have other episodes scheduled to record with guests. And so far, no one has asked to record an episode about that 1990s bastion of indie rock, Beck. Beck had, I mean, oof, he's got a lot going on 93 through 94. There's stereopathic soul manure and all that other stuff, that rare stuff that came before that golden something, something. There's all that stuff that came out in 93, a whole bunch of that. Uh, also in 93, of course, is the granddaddy, Mellow Gold, which featured his hit, Loser. And for my money, my favorite Beck album by A Country Mile is the 1994 album, One Foot in the Grave. Get yourself a pistol, get yourself a dog, 
Stay up all night getting drunk, sleeping on a hollow log. So you're hearing a little bit of it now. And if you like Nirvana, you might like Beck. And if you like Nirvana's acoustic jams, you might like Beck's acoustic jams. Maybe you want to come on the show and talk about these acoustic jams with me. This is definitely one of the albums when I formulated the idea for this podcast. Beck's One Foot in the Grave was in the forefront of my mind. I love this album. So come on. Come up here and talk about it with me. Or whatever album you want. I don't care. So long as it's not, you know, something that I don't like. (laughs) All right. We'll leave it at that. Have a wonderful, wonderful um, afternoon, day, night, life thing. Music Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.